Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith, that podcast where we shot a god because this week we watched Dawn of the Gods. By James Follett or Follett. Directed by Desmond McCarthy. And aired on January 28th, 1980. So first uh, writing credit from James Follett. One of only two. What else did he do? Something in the future that Mm. I didn't see. (laughs) All right. I just saw that this was his first story. And I just saw that it was one of two. So that's cool. kind of fun. In, it was good. It was. He did a great job on it. He did. Right. He did. I agree. Uh, in relation to Doctor Who, where are we airing this week? Uh, once again, I think we're right after when Shada would have finished. So, Right. We're for sure and in the inter-series era now. I think either last week or two weeks ago, I was like, man, we since Doctor Who's not airing at this time, we should look up some other shows that were airing at the time. And like I do every single week, I forgot that we talk about this. <laughs> so I didn't look anything up. That's okay. But like I said <laughs> we can last start week, next week, I still have an impossible time remembering the name of Bounty <laughs> every week. But I've pretty much got it down now, I think. In other news, I actually went back and rewatched Volcano because I'm a good podcast host <laughs> who actually rewatches things <laughs> when I said I would rewatch it. I didn't. Well, I yeah, noticed. I, didn't. <laughs> I noticed a lot more in this watching a volcano? a volcano i only made two notes about just a couple things that i wanted to mention number one we forgot to mention that they last week or two weeks ago i can't remember the exact time scale on this we talked about an email we received from rg about how Josette simon didn't like dana because she was uh, the character was sexist or racist and i actually or both watching volcano I actually did pick up on something that we forgot to mention last week, which Uh is that Avon and Callie both make fun of Villa for, quote, not noticing Dana literally all the time. Basically, apparently Villa is uh, basically um, leering at Dana is the implication there. Really? Huh. Yeah, I don't think we picked up on that at all. Because there's, Callie says something like, oh, Dana's very pretty. And Villa's like, oh, I hadn't noticed. And then as he's walking away, Avon goes, yes, Callie and I have noticed you not noticing all the time. Hmm. And Villa kind of just looks at them and shrugs, uh, which is something I just wanted to mention because it plays into that whole thing, the racist, sexist thing that is probably something we should have actually picked up on last week because I think it's actually kind of an important character moment. Yeah, I I actually, now that you bring that up, I actually do remember that uh, sequence. I just I think we just that totally went over our heads last week. It did. Yeah, my other note is uh, Avon well, is cold, so well, I don't know what that refers in, to exactly, right? Yeah, so I think in this episode, Tarrant, I can really see what people mean when they say that Tarrant sort of fills this role that Blake used to fill. Avon, and I think Paul Darrow is a big part of this because I know he didn't want Avon to fill in the the he didn't want to step into the the sort of hero side of Blake's character. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because on my rewatch of Volcano. There was a moment where it was an exchange between Avon and Tarrant. It was right near the end of the episode. And all I could think was Avon is Blake and Tarrant is Avon. Because what Tarrant said to respond to Avon was exactly what Avon would say if Avon was Blake in that situation. Was it when he says, I don't trust anyone? Or? It was the I don't trust anyone yeah. line. And I was like, that's exactly what Avon would say. Right. There's, I mean, it's it's not a one-to-one sort of thing. There's, yeah. there's this weird dynamic, right? Because 
there's sort of bits of God, well, this is so, a weird phrasing, but there's like bits of Blake and Avon, and there's also bits of Avon and Blake and Tarrant. Well, how I would describe it is you have like these two decks of cards, and one deck is Avon and one deck is Blake, and so Blake left, and so now you took these two decks and you shuffled them, and then you distributed the cards again randomly to Avon and Tarrant. So Avon huh. ended up with some of Avon's cards, but also some of Blake's cards, and Tarrant ended up with some of Blake's cards, Blake's cards but also a couple of Avon's cards. And I guess just kind of to put a capstone on Volcano... Uh, I still don't think it's great, even after rewatching it. I still kind of have a problem with them pairing Tarrant and Dana together, but I do see, I guess, kind of... Uh, last week we got an email from RG talking about how she really liked the dynamic between them, and I can see uh, flashes and moments of it that are really uh, fun, but moments I still of think... Moments through the volcanic ash. Yeah. Uh, you know, I definitely enjoyed it more on a rewatch. I still don't think it's great, though. And I guess that leads us right into Dawn of the Gods now. Which was great. Which was great. <laughs> Thankfully. I was getting really uh, discouraged yeah. there after Volcano. Yeah, no, this is this is right up there with um, Aftermath, really strong episode. Right. Kind Which, of the, the season kind of finding its footing again. This is the first episode that doesn't mention Blake at all, fun fact. Right, which is interesting, but... You know, I, I want to say this before we really get into it. Strong episode, I don't think it was... Dana, really, who even contributed to that at all, which is, again, continues this trend of, like, being me being disappointed in where they're going with Dana. Right, but before we even get into that, we should do our little quiz questions. Right. Uh, because this is an opportune time, so, you know, since I always go first, why don't you take the sure. first crack at sure. this this week? So mine is, Callie compares uh, Thawne to... Uh, Two mythological creatures from Earth. What were they? A, unicorns and leprechauns. B, unicorns and dragons. C, elves and dragons. Or D, elves and unicorns. Okay. Place well, your so bets. Make your choices now. My question is a little more silly. I went for a little more lighthearted one this week. Uh, at the start of the episode, they're playing what appears to be a space version of Monopoly. Space Villa, Monopoly by Terry Nation. is having a bit of a hard time, and Dana offers him to stay in... Space City, which we've seen before, fun fact. Uh, what is the rent that she tells Villa she'll charge? Is it A, 2500 a night? Is it B, 4000 a night? Is it C, 5000 a night? Or is it D, 7000 a night? So place your bets now. Well, I don't even know the answer to this one. <laughs> so... So that's where the episode starts, actually. They're yeah, playing with the this space monopoly. monopoly. Orac uh, is playing, too. Yeah, Orac is... This is actually my what would Blake do for this episode because I didn't. <laughs> I don't think Blake would sit down and play Monopoly with these guys. I mean, I agree with that. <laughs> I think that's kind of a silly one. But yeah, Blake wouldn't have time for these childish games. Oh, I think he'd have time for it. I just think he'd, he would think himself better than, than sitting down and playing Monopoly. He would be uh, doing what... Avon Ta- was doing, or Tarrant was. Was doing. Avon playing with them? Avon was playing okay, with yeah, them. Yeah, Avon. Was, yeah, Tarrant was the one who was. Basically, Tarrant yeah. is doing what Blake would do in this uh, situation. <laughs> yeah, this is where things become weird. Because Avon, Avon is playing with them because he's talking about how he's oh, going right, to win. He, but then Orak is like, "I'm going to win." Right? Orak is very is vehement that he is going to win. Villa's like, "Oh man, why do I always lose?" And and Avon says, "Maybe being born a loser would have something to do with that." And this is weird because this isn't even like a clever Avon line. This is even isn't even like a, a snappy Chris Boucher Avon line. This is like just a stupid insult. I didn't think it was a good line from Avon. 
Well, you have to remember that Villa is a Delta grade imbecile. Was so, that what he it says, was? so he said and then revealed that he wasn't. We don't know what's true or not. I should and have written down of, what he said in Volcano, what his rank was, but I didn't. He was a Delta grade. I remember that from Shadow. It was, he said Delta speaking grade, of, something with an I. Something technician, right? Or In Volcano, he calls himself like a Delta grade imbecile or a Delta grade hmm. idiot or something like that. He says like, he says like, I'm a Delta grade imbecile, but I'm not stupid or something like that. Yeah. Which speaking of Shadow, this episode has some big similarities to Shadow. Yeah. One of my notes is explicitly, is this Shadow? <laughs> Question mark. Because it comes even like right at approximately the same time in the season as Shadow did in series B. Well, Shadow was a second. I don't, th- I wouldn't call that because of the series are only 13 episodes each. I wouldn't call that the same position, second to fourth. But I call that roughly the same I position. I call it roughly the same early season, but... Was Shadow really the second? I thought it was the third. Yeah, it was probably the third. We had no, rede- it no, it was the second. No, we had Redemption right. and then Shadow. And then Weapon. Right, it was actually the guy in... It was actually Kozer who called himself the whatever grade weapons technician. Yeah. That was the phrase I was talking about. Yeah, but this there's a lot of parallels between this and Shadow in the beginning because Orak kind of goes on a power trip here and takes over the Liberator. Because uh, the Liberator keeps getting these course deflections and Terrence like, what the hell, guys? We're getting these course deflections. And Zen runs this diagnostic all the way down to the peace level. Avon's like, it's taking a long time. And then Zen's like, well, everything's working well. Well, Zen is reporting, you know, their their flight deviance or whatever. Right. And Orak is the one who's saying, like, everything's going. He, Orak is, like, loopholing his his explanation of what's going on, which actually Avon and Tarrant leverage later when they're <laughs> when they're held uh, up with those, like, truth guns or whatever. But Orak is the one here who is like, everything's going according to plan, guys. And he's like, everything's acting normally. And then, like, five minutes later, he's like, by the way, I took control of the ship. Yeah, but later on, like, Zen doesn't respond when Avon asks him to put, like, auxiliary thrusters on. And he's like, Zen, respond. And then Oryx's like, all of Zen's commands have to go through me now. <laughs> <laughs> and Avon's like, what the hell, Orak? Yeah, this actually, this brings up, like, the threat of Orak. Like, Orak can hold them under his non-existent thumbs if he wants, really. And he doesn't and hasn't really so far. Because he sees this black hole that apparently isn't emitting any X-ray radiation, which is, like, fascinating to him. I'm going to go into the physics of this for a brief moment here, because I think it's actually interesting. We don't actually know exactly why there's X-ray emission from suspected black holes, because you can't see a black hole. In most ways that you see a black hole is from the hole it leaves in the in the sky because no light comes from where the black hole is. But what you can see is X-ray emission from most black holes. And typically the X-ray emission comes from uh, interstellar gas that basically orbits around the black hole at high velocities. And the exact mechanism that causes the X-ray emission from this is speculative at best right now. But basically this orbiting gas causes this these X-rays to be emitted. And that's how you can actually have X-ray emission from a black hole because they bring this up in the episode, and it's like everybody knows this about a black hole. Black hole gravity is so big that light cannot escape a black hole. It's like even light cannot escape. Uh, and basically, the reason why you can have this X-ray emission from a black hole is because it's not actually coming from inside the black hole itself. It's coming from this gas that orbits around the black hole and basically spirals inward into the black hole as it's falling. So, Okay, cool. That's interesting. There's actually, I listened to this interview with this I guess theoretical physicist uh, Chanda Prescott Weinstein, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know her. I recognize the name. Recently. And I was, the, the reason why I was, I got this on the radio, actually, the reason why this caught my ear as I was flipping through radio channels <laughs> is that she was talking about the, like, the definition of science. So there's stuff from that interview that I want to mm-hmm. pull later in this episode when we inevitably get to our emails and talk about the, you know, science fiction and definitions and what we think about that. I don't that. think Sergeant Drano talked about it in the email this week. Okay, well, I'm, I'm still going to bring up stuff from this interview because she touches on that. But she also, in that interview, talked about, like, stuff. She talked about black holes. She talked about stuff like dark matter and dark energy. And she was like, I'm going to try to explain this in as layman's terms as possible. And she did. She did a good job of it. I didn't understand, like, half of it even still. But mm-hmm. hey, it was interesting. Black holes uh, are weird. So yeah. She also talks about the... And this is something that we have actually briefly touched on, but she talks about like the, I think the term, she used the term colored physics. She talks about like the race aspect of science. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something I'm going to touch on later when we get to the emails probably. Because we usually have that science fictional segment at the end. <laughs> oh boy. But basically, Orak wants to examine this black hole because there's no X-ray emission coming from this black hole. Right. And then Villa has, there's this really dramatic line from Villa where like the camera zooms in on his face and he's like, we're falling into a black hole. So they're falling into the into black hole. Black hole. <laughs> there's a, like a really cool shot of them. It's, uh, it almost looks like a film negative where the liberator is falling into the hole. Looks awesome. Yeah. It was okay. The cooler shot was the next was shot awesome. when everyone's on Let's the floor honest. getting compressed. Oh, that was, that actually reminded me of... Estella? No, no uh, Duel. I guess. The one in, scene in Duel where they're being controlled by... The, the gods on the gods planet? The, yeah. <laughs> but they, they're, like, falling on the floor. They're getting compressed. They're getting screwed over by the black hole. <laughs> and they survive. And, and, and Avon's and, like, wow, well, survive. Well, actually, during the compression... Yeah, during the compression, Avon tries to slip into a... Spacesuit. Not that that's going to do anything for him. You get the impression that somehow it's going to offer him more protection. That's why he's doing it, especially because during this, Tarrant tries to crawl over to him. He's like, oh, no, you don't. We're all going down together, basically. But once again, not that that suit would do anything. What would it do? Yeah, but like... But getting compressed, being in the suit's not going to make him get compressed any less. It's not like he can go out of the Liberator because he's still in the black hole. (laughs) But like at the same time... Like what this is doing in the story, like you get you get the impression that like he's 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 like become, he's separating himself from them by trying to do something different. He's trying to get out of this boat. Whether what he's actually doing is going to achieve that or not is questionable. It but- won't. There's another moment in this where it's Tarrant does the Avon thing and the Avon does the Blake thing, where Avon is basically being a leader, and then Tarrant is like, "I may have to kill you." Oh yeah, that's. And then Avon's like, I, it's I mean, been if you tried. know how, if you know how the show ends, that's. Uh- <laughs> That's interesting. That's an interesting line. I mean, whether or not you know that, that's just... An interesting Avon line. Avon always used to talk about how he might kill Blake and he yep. might take the Liberator from him. So to see Tarrant now be like, I'm going to kill you, Avon, is like, that's Tarrant doing the Avon thing to Avon's Blake. Right. Like I said, Tarrant got some of Avon's cards and Avon got some of Blake's cards. <laughs> I wonder if there are any Blake 7 collectible card decks. Oh, no. Would be easier to import than a freaking Blu-ray set. <laughs> Still mad. We should release this Monopoly game as well. God no. Why not? Like seven Monopoly. Why not? Monopoly sucks. That's why not. 
Monopoly scum clause board game. <laughs> oh, just because it takes too long. Oh, there's a lot more problems than that in Monopoly. No. Monopoly is how you destroy relationships. Yeah, well, the whole point of Monopoly is to show you that monopolies are bad, but no one seems to get that from Monopoly. Well, no, that's that's the predecessor to Monopoly, and like, look, the rhetoric of the game actually, the intentionality actually, of the game doesn't have anything to do with the game itself. But we're gonna have to like set that aside for now because there's so much we could even talk about that in terms of like one literary theory, game theory, and stuff like that. But I'm not gonna get into it. Look, my point is Monopoly sucks. Okay, it just sucks. Once you've played like other more well-developed board games, you can never go back to Monopoly. Well, all right. I don't play board games anyway, so. They're called board games for a reason. Ha ha. Ha Anyway, they make it through. They eventually just wake up and they're like, guess we made it through, guys. Yeah, Avon's like, guess we survived. And then Orac's like, we're in negative space where space-time is folded in on itself. I'm not going to go into the physical problems with this statement. They, well, this Just was actually... Just accept it as th- science fiction. This, this was cool. I didn't have any physical problems with this because I didn't, like, pick up on anything because I don't know any of the, like, physics behind this or anything. But this was cool. They try and find out where they are. They fire the laser and it, like, comes back at them mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I don't think they actually put a solid reason on why this happens, but someone's like, oh, maybe the space here is folded and it shot right back at us. And then Bill is like, what if it just deflected off the walls or something like that? In reality, Villa is probably the one who's correct here, but as you as usual, <laughs> Villa is usually correct. But basically, the I'm not going to go into it too much. But basically, they're talking about how space is negatively curved in this area. Our universe is based on experimental data, probably positively curved. Whatever that means to you, you can take it. It's probably right, but because I'm not going to try and explain it in layman's terms right now. Uh, but basically, they're talking about how space is negatively curved, so they believe that because of that, the Liberator is shooting at itself because space is curved in on itself, which is very tricky to wrap your head around, really. It's a cool... I don't know like anything behind this, but it's a cool concept to me. It's pretty nifty. Negatively mm-hmm. curved space generally implies that the... It, for example, if our universe was negatively curved, it tends to, when you work out the math, and the math is very complicated and confusing, tends to imply that the universe is going to collapse in on itself at some point. Yeah, that's another cool concept. This this is something we've been touching on for a couple of weeks and probably will touch on later in this episode, but that's a cool thing. It's science fiction stories, and I'm still hesitant to use that term for reasons I've gone into in detail, <laughs> but I'll just use it anyway. Science fiction stories are like, they're able to do that. They're able to take these things from the sciences, whether that's physics or mm-hmm. something else, and like do something really cool with it. You know, a writer might say like, "Oh, what if like this happened? What if you take this and like put it in the story like this, and thematize it like this, and did something cool like this?" And I know those are vague terms, but there's so much you can do with these ideas, right? But anyway, they don't actually ever put like a solid cap or tell you why that this happens. But maybe it's just that thing firing back at them. Maybe it's not the Liberator. Yeah, that's the other thing. But it fired back at the exact same energy, which is why they suspect it might be the Liberator. Anyway, they decide to basically draw straws to decide who's going to go outside and find oh, out what's out there. they don't draw straws. They just and by draw straws, they all go, okay, Villa, it's going to be you. And he's like, what? Like, it would have to be someone with impeccable lockpicking skills. And I was like, oh, no, not me. I'm not stepping one foot outside there. And they, there's this funny, like, sort of fade out transition to him wearing the spacesuit. He's like, depressurizing now. <laughs> opening the hatch now the spacesuit looks is really well designed yeah it looks kind of steampunky in my opinion yeah it does and 
steampunk is not a thing that like really existed in any sort of tangible form in 1980, but it does look kind of steampunk. And I was listening to uh, Blake Seven Character recently. They one of their recent episodes. I'm not sure. It might be their most recent one. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, depending on when this. Well, it may longer be. Out. Yeah, it might, might no longer most be. Recent. Yep. By the time this comes it out, it was about Federation troopers, and they mostly go into detail about the costumes because they're cosplayers, I think. Or they mm-hmm. make they make props from the show and costumes from the show, at least the two hosts of that show. Mm-hmm. So they definitely go into a lot of detail about how the Federation troopers' outfits were made for the different series because they actually do look different um, yeah. between the different series, which isn't something that I really picked up on too much. I mean, I think I knew in the back of my mind that the costumes were different, but they, like, pick apart the different details and stuff because, you know, they were saying, like, you know, back back in the late 70s, early 80s, if you wanted to this word wasn't around back then but cosplays these characters what you were what you had was like the few mm-hmm. press release photos that they had and you had to sort of make out like what okay what are these people wearing and how how once i figure out what they're wearing can i make that myself well, i mean the great thing about blake seven is that the budget is so yeah. low the answer is probably yes you could make this yourself yeah. at home. but they were also talking about and this is sort of getting away from what i wanted to bring up in this but i'll mention it anyway because it's interesting but what they were talking about is that a lot of this stuff because a lot of this stuff was just made from them going to like stores and picking out like a literal just belt from a clothes store or something mm-hmm. is that you can't make a lot of these costumes in the exact same way anymore. You can't just go to a store because the example they mentioned was a, a reversible colored belt for men, like a yeah. black that's belt on the um, man, yeah, I have a man's belt. Well, I have one too, but <laughs> apparently they can't get find one. But a men's reversible belt is black on one side and brown on the other. And they're like, man, you, you don't really find those anymore. So that's like something that really dates the ability to make these costumes on like the same kind of budget. Just come to America, honestly. You can find those <laughs> everywhere. But anyway, why I wanted to bring that up is they were like going into detail about what, you know, the different pieces of the costume and stuff and really made me appreciate the costuming on Blake 7 more than mm-hmm. I ever have. <laughs> um, because it isn't, you know, you, there's a lot of like janky stuff on the show and right. I'm not going to beat around the bush in terms of that. But like a lot of it, it's it's like, it's really intricately made, whether budget aside, it's like, it's cool how they, how they achieved a lot of this stuff. No, I agree. And this spacesuit is a great example of it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Well, Villa, this is my what would Blake moment okay. do before we continue with that. Okay, I was trying to remember what I was going to say about this. Basically, in my opinion, I think Blake being the natural born and charismatic and, uh, rather bossy leader he is would have yeah. gone out of the airlock himself he would have been like now y'all stay here this is my this is my mm. space to explore i think i think in this case blake would have taken someone with him he would have gone himself but not alone probably blake always seemed to drag jenna <laughs> into yeah. his his rather foolhardy adventures and then Let's not beat around the bush here. Either this is a very foolhardy venture sending someone out into negatively curved space that they have no idea what's going on. Orak is basically being a little POS over there in the corner, basically being like, hey, got to do or- all the studying. Orak is also still mad that he, he they cut off the Monopoly game. Yeah, short. because he thought he was going to win. <laughs> but anyway, they Villa tell, goes out. They tell uh, Villa to use his delicate, skillful touch to open the hatch because he has a little trouble. And he's mm-hmm. like, he just kicks it open. And he's like, I used my delicate, skillful foot. Liked that line. Is this the same hatch that we saw in the way back? The Spacefall, sorry? Because that was the airlock in, in Spacefall. I don't think so because when they... 
you get the imp- maybe the, maybe I'm misremembering, but I, if I remember correctly, in Spacefall, you get the impression that when they go through that airlock, they're either in the bridge, which probably isn't true, or they're very near the bridge. Mm-hmm. Which I yeah, thought they were very this. near the bridge. Yeah, it looked like, and I think this is a behind the scenes thing because mm-hmm. they hadn't finished the Liberator set in the way back uh, in Spacefall. Yeah, uh, that was probably the only thing they had of the Liberator done or done enough to put on camera. Right. So the so they're like, well, we just have they have we have to give off the impression that this uh, airlock goes straight into the bridge because that's all we can do. Yeah. So they didn't have any of the corridors that they do now. They didn't even have the bridge back then either. The bridge was still in a questionable state yeah. in that episode, even as was the tube connecting <laughs> two ships, which reminds me of the extremely similarly low budget way that they filmed something in this story, but we're going to get there in just a second. But Villa basically falls and is hanging onto the edge of the liberator and then he lets go and, and there's just a floor right yeah. there. He lets go. They, he's like, it's a, it looks bottomless. I can't tell how far it, uh, the, the drop would be. And they're like, we'll drop something and see how far it falls. And he drops a flashlight and it only falls about like, what, like two, three feet? Three feet. And he's like, oh, and he just drops down and there's a floor right there. And he's like, wow cool guys there's a floor and he kind of wanders around for a bit but then he gets attacked and they're like wait what's going on villa what are you doing some some bright lights sort of uh freeze him or he freezes in his path he does this later on in the episode too which gives me the impression that this isn't like psychic control or anything this no, is just him being scared, scared yeah, yeah i think he's just scared there is some psychic stuff going on with callie and we get a, uh, a little more of callie's backstory and a little more of the backstory of oran as well well, Later because because Callie during all this is like knocked out. Yeah, right when they come through the black hole, Callie is knocked out and she's mumbling about this this person named Thorn. Thorn. How do you spell that? T h a a r n. Huh. Oh, so Thorn. Okay. And wow. she eventually wakes up and Tarrant is like, "Oh, are you okay now?" And she's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "You were like talking about this uh, person named Thorn." She also indicates that like this is a, a, explicitly a retcon. You can't even argue this at all. But she says that she was actually exiled from her planet. I mean, she, it's not a retcon necessarily, but she... It just means she, she was lying earlier. She indicates that she was exiled from her planet, but when she was introduced, she said that she was on a self-imposed exile for failing in her mission, if you'll remember. Right. That, but in this not- one, she she... The reason why it's a bit of a retcon is because she intimates or indicates that basically... She did something on Oran that led to her getting right. exiled. And this is what I was hinting at since Callie was introduced, basically, is that she is possibly a criminal as well. Because we've, we'd always been like, well, Callie's the only one who's non-criminal. I assume we're going to find out what that is this season because there's an episode called Children of Oran. And I don't know any more than what's in this. So I'll have to find out. I mean, well. I definitely don't. Yeah, I know I don't. I'm just but, assuming we're going to find out in the episode called Children of Oran. Because yeah. if there was ever going to be an episode that was going to be about Callie and Oran, it, it would be well, the one that has Oran in the name. Hopefully it's not Callie's sort of redemption moment. And what I mean by redemption is the episode redemption. <laughs> but I don't think this is a retcon. I think it's just Callie, you know, lying or stretch, bending the truth a little bit uh, in her introduction. But even because, still, that would be a retcon because we've never been shown Callie to be distrustworthy in what she says she well, has never now. lied well we have now well that's the thing that's why i'm saying it's a retcon because now she's 
she's well, untrustworthy, but we've never had that before. Well, a retcon, no, a retcon is like something that goes back and actually changes events that took place in the past. This doesn't actually change it because this is, and this is something, this is really cool. I really like what Series 3 or Series C is doing with this because Series C is all about like trust, belief, reported speech, and like power and how those things are all interrelated. And this is something that's absolutely related to that because we find out now that Callie might have been lying when she was uh, introduced. And there's a lot more in this episode that's actually about that, which was really cool to me. I guess it feels like a retcon to me, honestly. Well, because it might feel like a retcon. It feels like I a retcon because a retcon. so much of her character was based on the fact that she was in self-imposed exile. Exactly. Like, so much of this character was based on this thing that's now, like, probably a lie. And yeah. that's, like, awesome. Callie has power because of that, man. Like, we've been talking about this. We're like, Callie's trustworthy. She's the only one who's non-criminal. And now we find out, like, oh, man. She, like, she really had, like, power over, like, she had something that none of these other characters had because of that. Because of, like, this lie. I mean, the reason why it feels like a retcon, though, is because the way they set up the show was that Callie was the one who didn't lie. And that was, like, a key tenant of the show was like Callie doesn't lie Villa's not trustworthy Avon's not trustworthy yeah they're not Blake's not trustworthy yeah, Jenna's not trustworthy but Callie didn't lie yeah, and that was like what we set up for, you know every episode almost that's why it feels like a retcon now because now they're saying oh she lied that's to me that's changing events like you said definition of retcon changing events that already happened it's changing what she said then to be not a definitive explanation of what she did but now it's a lie but what what, so but that what is she a said but what she said in um in uh, what was the episode uh time squad what she said in time squad was just it was that it was just what she said she said it was a self-imposed exile yeah though. but that's like but that's, that's just something that someone says she, people can lie yeah but she's never lied before is what i'm saying well, she was no, always she the has because of what we find out here or or at least we don't but know that's, if this, but that's why i'm saying this is a lie but that's why i'm saying it's a retcon because she's never lied before and now it's changing events so that that is a lie that's why i'm but saying like, it's a retcon but we don't know like even in um time squad we don't know whether that's true or, or not we just and we, i think this is actually something we talked about in time squad we're like hmm, we don't like we just find this person on this planet and she has this backstory and we're like, all right, we're supposed to trust you. And we let her on the liberator. And mm -hmm. then, you know, stuff happens in the web as well. And that, that calls into question Callie's integrity. But like, I mean, it's just her saying this thing. We really don't know like what this is. And, and eventually you come to trust her because of who she is and what she does on the liberator and how she helps everyone and how she's become sort of the medic. And mm -hmm. uh, she's like the, the peacekeeper almost. And you fall like into not complacency, but you fall into like this mode of thinking where you know you, you're on Callie's side, and is if she leverages something there, and that's based on something that was just said, man. Like, I mean, yeah, it was just anything. said, but I think you're looking past the point I'm actually trying to make. I mean, I get what you're saying. I just completely don't agree with it because, like, it's just it's just reported speech. I guess, but I feel that, like, like, honestly, I feel like really that's a cop-out. Cool. I feel like that's a cop-out response because I feel like you can just use that for anything then. Like, oh, it's just reported speech. Like, I feel like in this instance, this is a change in Callie's character, that they're changing something that was established. Yeah, but, like, this is also something that, again, like I said before, something cool that, like, Series C is doing is, like, it's calling into question, like, the integrity of what you even believe in a TV show. Like, you strongly believed what Callie said because of, like, the rhetoric of what we're shown, what, we're, what we hear when we're watching these episodes. 
I guess, but I still feel like that's a cop out because then what? What's what's to say they didn't do that in Series A and B? Yeah, why, exactly. Why is Series C different? Because they're actually thematizing this stuff. Are they really? Yeah, they're, they're really. They're actually are they doing are it. Really, di- are they honestly doing it different than Series B though? They are. Yes, they are. They're actually really bringing this stuff up, questioning it, and really having it be something that's thematized over multiple episodes. This is the one sort of trend because the quality of these episodes is like fluctuated wildly. But this is the one trend. These four episodes of Series C are hitting on this point, episode after episode. But, I mean, they did that all through Series B, though, because they would always hit on this thing, like, everybody called Blake a legend, and everybody said Blake was a legend, and Blake was like, but I'm not a legend, like, look at us, look at what we've done, and they hit on this with, with Inga, because they were like, look, he didn't want to tell them anything about Inga, it's like, this is not a new thing in the show, and I think that... not, But not to this extent, I would not say to this extent, because there's actual lines of dialogue and things like this in these stories that are really, like, driving this home. I guess, but we've always had Avon there going, can we really trust what Blake says? Like, that's always been a thing that's yeah, been on the show. That's true. That's very true. So can we really trust what Callie said in uh, Time Squad? You know, who knows? And can we really trust what she says now? I mean, who knows? Who knows what anyone's really saying and whether it's true or not and, like, what the truth even is, really, in this sort of world, this in Blake 7. And in, in our world as well. Just feels like a cop-out to me, honestly. All right. Well, if you uh, want to see it that way, I mean, because it well, because it feels like you're just saying, well, we can't trust anything. Yeah, that's, I think that's very true. And I think if you can't trust anything, then what's the point of even doing this podcast? What's the point of talking about anything that happens in the episode? Because we don't trust anything that happens in the episode. There has to be, in my opinion, some level of trust between us and the people who create the show. Well, I'm not talking about people who create the show. That's. But I mean, the, the re- people the, who, no, the the people who create that, the show like, bringing that in is like. Totally, but the people who create the show are the ones who are putting this this mm. thought into the show, right? Yeah, but you're hitting on things like intentionality and like authorial intent. The question of authorship, okay, but, also, but, which but, I don't want to okay. bring in. But okay, so <laughs> who decided to thematize this? What do you mean? This this whole concept of not trusting what people say. Who decided to thematize it then? Well, it's the obviously it's the creators of the show, but that also doesn't matter. It's in the show whether they no, want. It no, no, it, it doesn't. It's I, actually I take that back. It doesn't. We don't know who decided to, or if this was even decided as something that would be put into the show. It's in the show. Okay. Whether it's been decided or whether it was intentional or not. But I'm not talking about intentionality. No, you are. You're hitting on it at least. I'm not. I'm trying to say there has to be some trust between us and the show. Okay, well, you're but the 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 way you like are explaining that is like well, there has to be some trust not between or like at least what you said before not between Well, I said the us and show, the people and who the make creators. the show. Yeah, so if you're foc- and I think you should you should focus on the like the show itself. But even still there has to be some trust between us and the show. If you can't trust anything, I don't feel like there's a point. Well, that's your feeling and I disagree because I think there's so so much cool and interesting stuff you can do when you like call these things into question when you call belief into question when you call into question the integrity and that word is used almost paradoxically here the integrity of truth and fact and how those things are manipulated and how those things change there's a line in this episode it's later and I wanted to bring it up later but I'll bring it up now because we're touching on it is um there's actually a lot and I'll just I'll uh, I'll go more into these as we get to them, but I'll just bring all these up now. Avon basically says later when Callie tells the story, she's like, instead of worrying about 
stories, let's worry about like here and now what's right in front of us, um, what's real versus what's in stories, which is fake. Um, mm -hmm. There's a line later also from Avon, uh, propaganda that we found useful when people were like, uh, the Liberator is an indestructible ship. And he's like, oh, I was just propaganda, propaganda that we found useful. Later, the quest, there's this scene with Callie and um, what's his name, Tharn, later on, or uh, yeah, that was his name, right, Tharn, uh, later on, where she's laying down in that like fur bed or whatever. That scene like really brings into question like, trust, trust as like a method to power. She's like, I can't trust you and I can't shoot you unless I can see you. And that's a little bit later in that scene actually. And how Tharn uses like trust to leverage power. I don't know. It frankly just seems like a really cynical way to see everything because it feels like how can you have character development if you can't trust what people say? How can you have any sort of development if you don't trust anything at all well, because it sounds like to me what you're saying is you can't trust any spoken speech at all which to an extent yes that's true but well i i don't think that's necessarily the case but like i am sorry you had more to say go on well i was going to say how 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 do you have any sort of character development if you if you don't have some sort of trust in what is reported well one first of all i want to hit on this thing of character development and this is getting into a really long side discussion but <laughs> Whatever I want to hit on this thing of character development is one I just want to say: Do we need character development in anything? What is character development, and why do we look for character it? development? Is what I watch for, honestly. Okay, all right, but but I, again, these are questions I don't have answers to. I just want to put it out there for both you and like anyone listening, and really anyone is: What is character development? Why do we look for it? Why do we need it? Do we look for it? Do we need it? And also, like this is actual to me. This is character development for Cali, right? We because we find out. Now that like it calls into question, oh, she might have been lying this whole time. She might not be the person we thought she was. But, but that I feels just like, think it feels there like a retcon so many, to me. Okay, well, it just feels like one. It's not. I'll say that. But I disagree also, with that. It is to there, me. But there's also this thing like this show now is doing so many cool things with the this idea of questioning truth, the nature of truth. These are essentially philosophical questions, right? These are epistemological questions mm -hmm. and, and really ontological questions as well. And like, what what is truth? What's the nature of it? How do we access it? Can we access it? Does it exist? And things like that. And this show is like actually, and this is crazy, right? This, this, <laughs> this show that's really a, sort of a cult classic now is like really touching on these things in, in an awesome way. This reminds me, this is, I, no, actually, I don't want to bring up Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> I kind of hate that series Let's now. Let's not go there. It's, anyway, we can move on from this, but there is more to talk about in this episode with these things specifically, especially in that scene later when where Thorn really, like, takes, he, like, empowers himself by keeping himself hidden. <laughs> yeah, well, Thorn was banished, according to Callie. She, she, Nobody uh, disputes that, so I'm just going to say that's definitive truth. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we can call it that definitive truth. It's a, it's a story also. This is really interesting, the way it's connecting all these things to stories. I guess. There, anyway, there's this robot thing that shows up. Villa, actually, yeah, Villa is, uh, he gets sort of a leak in his helmet. It gets a leak in his helmet, and then Tarrant goes out to retrieve him, and I thought we're going to have an alien situation here where 
Phil is like infected with an alien because he stands up right when Tarrant gets to him and then Tarrant like looks him in the eye like really weirdly and then but nothing ever comes of that and then they all go out because they get attacked they get the well Villa takes off his helmet and he's like hey we can breathe out here <laughs> which is really strange and there there's there's an attacking sort of force and I think we see this now but it's this like it reminded me uh, on Doctor Who Paradise Towers. Yes. That white robot thing yeah. that looked like, now that I, I didn't make this connection when we watched that Doctor Who episode, but now that I remember it, it's almost like a wind-up mouse toy designed to look like a stormtrooper. Quite an explanation, that. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but in this episode... In this episode, it looks, it looks like, like... an anglerfish. Yeah. Yeah, it has like teeth painted on. Avon says, and this is something also that it, we can question. Avon is like it was designed by whoever designed it to scare underdeveloped life people. Forms. Yeah, I mean and that's then, just speculation. Uh, pretty sure he says that's what he's speculating. Pretty sure he doesn't say that like definitive fact. Yeah, yeah well. I mean, Savon, maybe he's convinced himself. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, Krantor shows up from, uh, what was it called? Not Space City. Uh, Freedom City. Freedom City. No, it's not Krantor. It's Candor, I think. Krandor. Something like that. It was something very similar. I think it was Candor. Well, check the credits. Mm. He's not on the credits. Oh, no, it's the, he's the caliph, but yeah. he doesn't have a page. Yeah. On the Blake 7 wiki. Yep, so he's not important. No, no, that's not true. The Blake 7 wiki is pretty barren. <laughs> barren is an understatement. They basically all get thrown in these cells, except for Callie, who Callie's gets taken to Thorn. Thorn. For, for a while, she goes get put in the cell. I think, if I remember correctly, she's taken somewhere else, then she's brought in the cell, then she's taken somewhere else again. Because she explains well, that so like, they, backstory thing with Oron. They get thrown in the cell, and, da- because, and Dana didn't go with yeah, them, and Dana? she was on the ship, but then the people board okay. the ship, and they take Dana because they think she's Callie, and she's like, no, I'm Dana. Okay, let's just talk about Dana for a minute, and let's also talk about their lie detector gun things, but let's focus on Dana. Dana is quickly becoming Gan. <laughs> she's quickly becoming the new Gan, and this really sucks, because even Gan wasn't this shafted like four episodes into, into Gan. Dana did quite a bit more in Volcano than we actually gave her credit for on my rewatch, I noticed. Okay, yeah. Well, we did need to rewatch Volcano, and you did, and I didn't. So. She, we did not give her enough credit in Volcano. Uh, right. Tarrant is really a stick in the mud, especially okay. when the Federation troopers attack, and he's like, can you like kill him or something? And Dana's like, all you had to do is ask, and then she checks the grenade, and then that's when uh, the future space commander goes tumbling off by the way we didn't mention how hilarious the backflip he does when he goes flying off after the grenade oh, is. i don't re- i don't even remember the backflip another reason why we should have revisited this episode or at least i should have rewatched it too i don't know if we want to actually cover volcano again in an episode probably not probably but. not but anyway we didn't give dana enough credit but in this episode she's definitely the gan of this episode <laughs> and this is not a good trend like really no doing this to dana even though she was set up as a potentially interesting character. And doing it to Del Tarrant, too, if we're going to be honest. Not so much in this one. I think he had a lot more, at least, to say in this. He didn't do much in this episode, though. Callie and Villa were the real driving forces in this episode, and Avon when he kind of cracks the code. It just feels like the original cast was really strong and 
it feels like they've been replaced with cosplayers. Cosplay imposter. Yeah, you know, basically, yeah. But hey, that's okay. It can still get go up from here. It can still get better. Hopefully. But anyway, Dana's uh, held at gunpoint, and they have... Uh, they sell the Orac caliph- as this tiny bald dwarf. <laughs> well, okay, they have these stabs, staves, I guess, that they can detect. I don't remember. They're like, if you lie, it'll kill something you or like something that. like that. We don't actually see these in action, I think. No. So maybe that itself is a lie. They're like, if you lie, this thing is going to go off and blow your head off. <laughs> well... Do we see? We do see the guy use. We do see the guy shoot someone with it. Not necessarily in that context, but we do see him shoot someone with it. Yeah, this is an interesting thing. Also, on this like question of truth, right? We see this thing. Honestly, I don't remember him saying it was a lie detector. Like, I didn't even remember that till you brought it up. I just thought it was just a gun that he used. They say like, don't even try and lie because this thing will detect if you lie, and it'll either will either shoot you if that's the case, or it'll automatically go off, or something like that. But, like, this also brings up this question of, like, why do we see it? Why do we believe it when we see it and I mean, not when we hear it? My and do interpretation we believe it when we hear it? of that scene was that he said he was going to shoot her if she lied. And then he believed her when she said that she didn't know who Orak mm-hmm. was and that she's not Callie. That was my interpretation of the scene. I'm pretty sure. I'm, like, 99% sure it was the the devices have some sort of lie detector because there's this scene later actually this is right now when they're walking out of the room where Dana says that I forget the line it's like nobody knows exactly what Orak has up his sleeves or like Orak doesn't have arms or something like that yeah or something along those lines some like little loophole because I think Orak is a is humanoid or something like that well Tanner's like oh he's like yay tall which is how tall Orak's yeah. wheelie cart is yep and there's this part of that scene and they where they said this he doesn't guy, have hair. I think it was what yeah, it was. That was what it was. And there's this part of this scene where she says that, and the guy looks at the gun like, "What the hell? Like this thing should have gone off because she probably lied." And then it doesn't go off, and he he doesn't really shrug, but he like shrugs with his eyes. <laughs> he like visually shrugs, and he's like, eh, "Whatever," and they just go on. Well, so. Then they take Callie to Thorn and they just take Avon and Tarrant to this calculation room, I guess. And then Villa well, and Dana just chill in the cell for the rest of the thing. Callie gives a little more backstory for Oron because she's been contacted by this guy named Thorn via telepathy. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, who's Thorn? So she explains the story, this sort of myth about this this Oron, Oron, Oronian, Oronian creation, creation myth. myth, which is that... There were seven gods who came to Oron one day, mm-hmm. dropped off. It, it's sort of Adam and Eve-esque, right? They drop off these two people and they leave. And millions of years later, they come back and six of the gods were pleased with what they saw. And Tharn was not pleased. He's one of the gods. Mm-hmm. So he left and he swore or the, the gods, other gods like locked him away or something. Well, actually, you're, you're missing the biggest part of the story is that Tharn killed one of the other gods. And that's oh, why they locked that. him away. Yeah, okay. I because he about killed that. one of the other gods. He kills one of the other gods. He is locked away, but he like swears vengeance on everyone. He's like, one day I'll rule the universe or something like that. And that was the other thing is that they this is they got their telepathy Judeo-Christian. from the they got the the Orions got their telepathy from the gods. They like gave them as a gift. And yeah. Thorne was like against this, and that's why he kills one of the other gods. And then they're like, well, we're going to lock you away then. Right. So very Judeo-Christian sort of story here. Very Satan Pit Impossible Planet. <laughs> From Doctor Who? Yes. Well, that's also, I mean, just in the name, very Judeo-Christian stuff. 
And they're using these Although, legitimate pencils in the calculation well, room, which I only want to bring up because Terrence, like, he, he, this freaking Terry Nationism, even freaking stories not written by Terry Nation. He's like, what is the graphite writing stick? <laughs> hey, I, I actually had a note about that. I just wrote graphite writing stick. Yeah, me too. But, uh, <laughs> but um, I want to go back to this thing I said two seconds ago, the Judeo-Christian relation here um i actually want to semi take that back because it is very very christian but i also don't want to like impose that on it i think people because a lot of americans including myself are more familiar with like these judeo tradition these judeo-christian traditions and stories will impose that Mm -hmm. on whatever they see and that's sometimes useful and sometimes not so you know who knows who knows anyway yeah they're they're using the pencils because Tharn is afraid of computers. Because this apparently guy, computers are smarter than Tharn. This, this guy who's been talking to them since they came in the room, who looks like an old-time like ticket seller at a carnival <laughs> or something, doesn't he? I mean, he yeah, has he's that, got a like, little visor. Yeah, he's sort of telling them all this. Well, there's this is weird whole carnival vibe. Actually, sorry for interrupting, but this is whole carnival vibe because we forgot to mention that the the guy with the quote lie detector gun unquote is dressed like he's got like a top hat and he's got he's dressed like the ringleader of a circus yeah so there's this weird carnival vibe going on with thon's little domain here and and, and i actually really love to learn more about why they did that the angler fish really when later when they're running through their room it really reminded me of like a fun room at like a like a haunted house or something they're running through this fun room yeah that's actually a good point i wonder if there's any like behind the scenes story like well the bbc just finished making this tv episode about carnivals and then they just brought over the props and costumes possibly yeah it's possible they just went into the like costume department and pulled them out but like the the fact that the anglerfish reminded me like straight out of like a fun house makes me think that maybe there was a little something more to it yeah that's that's actually that's interesting i don't want to go too far with this idea because we already touched on this a little Mm -hmm. And even this, I don't know if I have any, like, real proof and stuff to draw from the story for this, but, like, that's something, like, when you go into these spaces, when you go into movie theaters, theaters in general, carnivals, these spaces of, like, and this is a Byronian term, I don't know if I want to use this, but, like, suspension of disbelief, you go into these spaces and your perception of what's true and what's not is changed somehow, it's altered, you're in a different state, you're not in reality anymore, it's Mm -hmm. somehow different, but whatever, I'm not going to get too much into that. But anyway, yeah, so the they, this is when they, afraid of computers. Yeah, this is when they tell them, this is when he finds out that they're part of Blake's crew or what used to be Blake's crew, and he's like, whoa, you guys were from the Liberator. Yeah, because two guards go on the ship and they get killed by Orak, right. who like generates like an energy beam and kills them, and they come back and like two men went onto your ship, the Liberator, and they got killed. They, right. <laughs> they're also another Terry Nationism, non-Terry Nation <laughs> script. Apparently the strongest material in the galaxy is called oh, Herculaneum. Yeah. <laughs> unobtainium <laughs> herculaneum <laughs> the hull of the liberators apparently made of herculaneum which is why it's apparently indestructible and nearly indestructible but like this is kind of dumb but like a lot of real elements are also named in like a dumb way like that like well so that's the thing a lot of elements are typically named after where or who discovered them now like california californium yeah. california americium berkelanium uranium plutonium are named after planets but like Herculaneum. Yeah, it's strong. So like Hercules. Herculaneum. <laughs> Seriously. There's also that God connection because Hercules was a demigod. I, I guess. He was, Maybe yeah. Was that just in Disney? No, he was a demigod. <laughs> anyway, th- 
this is this is when Avon goes when they find out he's from the they're from the Liberator. This is when Avon goes like, yeah, that propaganda was useful when he's like, the Liberator is an indestructible ship that can do anything. I mean, okay, but pause. The Liberator basically is indestructible. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Avon kind of the plays only it off. time we've seen the Liberator not be indestructible is when that exact copy of the Liberator gets blown <laughs> up, and that's by the system as well. Yeah, so. Maybe this, maybe Avon's statement here is the is the real propaganda when you think about it. Maybe, because there's that saying, right? If you're maybe. weak, pretend to be strong. And if you're strong, pretend to be weak. Maybe, but I don't want to go too much into it. No, I already know either. what happens to the Liberator, so. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do too. I've been trying to keep that a secret. <laughs> but if you already know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, Avon basically comes up with this plan where, like, if we turn off the energy dampers, then, like, we can escape. <laughs> there's, like, fi- there's like 10 or 15 minutes left in the episode at this point. <laughs> there's, like, not much time to pull off this plan. <laughs> yeah, and it uh, it works completely. Yeah, it works. There's some confusion. I think there's some blasts of steam or whatever in this room because we're only really shown one room of this supposedly or probably massive compound. Yeah, Callie basically is like, yeah, I'll join you, but I don't know if I'm making this decision of my own choice, so can you, like, turn off the energy dampers so that I know I'm making this decision of my own choice? Because the energy dampers make it so that the guns don't work. Anyway, we immediately get a segment. It's called, does Avon hold it like a six-shooter this episode? The answer is yes. Really? I didn't notice it. Yeah, he does. He, like, spins around real quick like a Western sharpshooter, too. uh, I I completely missed that, I guess. It's like, all I look for in the episodes now is, does Avon play this off like a space Western? (laughs) In some ways, they might be, but there's... Does Paul Darrow play it like a space western, yeah. I mean? There's a... Who knows? Maybe Avon, the character himself, is a big western fan. There's... <laughs> which would be a strange point. <laughs> that would be a strange character point But to introduce. There's some confusion. There's running around, and eventually Blake and... No, not Blake. God dang it. Tarrant. Avon and... Oh. No, Avon and Tarrant uh, make it out, and there's they're like... I was like, you could take these guys with you because these guys all yeah. are here. They're, yeah. they're all here for the same reason. They fell into the black hole too. And yeah. Tharn has them captive just as much as he has the Liberator crew captive. Could take them with them. Yeah, this really baffled me actually because <laughs> the guy's just like, tell my family I love them. And Avon's like, will do, bye. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You can just go, what? <laughs> we didn't mention that Tharn wants the Liberator's parts. That's why it's there. Yeah, he wants the Herculaneum. We forgot to oh, mention yeah, that they found that. another piece of another ship and Zen analyzed it and like it's basically from like a B-class freighter or whatever he says freighter oh man they rank the like, freighters too it's and then he's like B-class freighter but all the Herculaneum has been drained out of it by some process that I don't know and and the other thing Herculaneum? is a piece of it. oh god <laughs> he's like this other piece is like a meteor but also all the Herculaneum has been drained and then that's why also they start panicking on the Liberator start because that's because they know that the hull is made of right. Herculaneum and so that's why they're there right so they're all, they basically all make it back to the Liberator except Callie. She has a little more to deal with. Callie is in this room. This actually looks really cool. I don't know why I thought this looked so cool because it's literally just a dark room with a pedestal in it. But she's sitting on this pedestal. It looks like it has almost like a animal skin type yeah. thing on it. Mm-hmm. Sitting on this pedestal. And what you said before is the exchange. She is like, she. I need to see you to trust you. And which is interesting because so far all of Tharn's power, especially once you see him and once you see what he looks like, how he's this sort of... <laughs> I mean, he looks like Kiari Mundi, but not nearly as tall. He's a very like yeah. he's like a, a sh- he's really short and he doesn't look powerful, really truly in the slightest. And this is interesting because his power so far was derived from his ability to stay hidden, himself keeping him, him keeping himself hidden, the, his people's inability to witness him 
basically. I, mean, I don't want to go too far with this, but we don't actually know that this is Tharn's true form. It's right. entirely possible he's just projecting something for Callie to look at. And tr- that's true. We also don't know whether or not this is Tharn, the one from the story. And But this is also interesting because this form is like, Callie then like throws a wrench in this plan. She's like, well, in order to trust you, I need to see you. Mm-hmm. And it, it like, it really brings up like, where do we, where do we get trust from? Like, this is something we were talking about before. Can we trust what we hear? Or do we have to see it to believe it? Mm-hmm. Or do we have to see it to trust it? Well, what's the difference between trust and belief? How do I, I really don't know. But like. That's not something I want to get into. No, I don't. <laughs> no, it's like, a, that's like a philosophical and yeah. also linguistic in some way question. But like. Why do we see it when we, why do we believe it when we see it and not when we hear it? And I don't know. I don't know probably whether that's even a valid a, question. But probably because sight is a sense we use more often. Yep. And sight is very, very valued in Indo-European languages and especially Western European languages like the Germanic languages, like English. Sight is very, very valued in those languages. Sight's valued in actually every human language. I think everybody values sight because sight, that's the thing, sight is almost acquired for human survival. Yep. And which but, is why it was always like, if you see it, then you got to believe it because you, you, if you see a mammoth charging towards you, <laughs> yeah. you don't believe that mammoth's <laughs> charging towards you, then uh, you're going to yeah, see the this, mammoth before but, you hear it because right. that's a whole physics thing, light, sound traveling right and this is also brings up like this linguistic concept that people have been touching on for hundreds and hundreds of years is and no one i think has really said it better and more summarily than Addie bundren from as i lay dying one of my favorite books and so i keep bringing it up but the words only get in the way these things are all only concepts we bring up you bring up this example and i think it's a good example in terms of if you want to survive and if you want to mm-hmm. stay alive in a prehistoric time where, where there are mammoths like if you see yeah. a mammoth charging at you you, you can get out of the way you can get out of yeah. the freaking way or else you're gonna die but like the mammoth itself is just it's a word and definitions of words aren't like imposed they're like inscribed meaning is made like when you use a word not like it's it's not like already in the word itself so like the mammoth even itself is just a concept and this is one line of thinking. I mean, I'm not, I don't walk around saying, like, the door is just a concept, and I walk right into the door. But, but, like, even just saying that is paradoxical because you can't describe, like, the concept of the door. And this is also touches on, like, almost Jungian, like, collective unconscious type stuff. And, I don't, again, I don't want to get too much into this, but, like, I don't know, man. It's just it's confusing and it's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I think the whole point but is like, that we don't, we don't know if this is Thorne's true form. Uh, but, but like, and, and, and if it's not, it's entirely possible he projects himself as a smaller person because that makes him seem more powerful. Or or weaker, you know, again, yeah. it, it brings up this thing and this... It this. makes the power disparity between the apparent appeared power and his actual power appear to be greater. Right, and this is the thing brought up with the Liberator and Avon, and I said that as a joke that he's saying like that thing about propaganda as his own form of propaganda, but this is actually really, really related. Again, if you're weak, appear, that's just, you know, there's a, that is a saying for a reason. If you're weak... Try to be pretend you're strong, and if you're strong, pretend you're weak. Mm-hmm. But I really like this scene because of how it actually calls into question like these things that we so take for granted and that we so believe. It's really cool. But Callie, we we're left with this sort of cliffhangerish thing where we don't know if Callie shot him. Later on, we find out, quote unquote, that she didn't. We forgot to talk about Thorne's plan, which is he basically wants to build this gravity machine that can control gravity, right. which will allow him to invert the space he's in so that he can go back to regular space and 
an escapist prison, basically. And he also says, if I, he, whoever controls gravity controls the universe. Which is true. Just from a physical standpoint. I mean, he's basically building a giant weapon, and he's like, I have the, whoever has the biggest weapon controls everything, which is... Also true. <laughs> the, so the Liberator is able to escape. They run through the room again with the anglerfish bot. Yeah. Avon, this scene oh was just God, hilarious to me because Avon. I knew exactly how they filmed this. They found a dark room at the BBC studio. They didn't put anything in it. They just, just put the actors <laughs> in it and wheeled this anglerfish through it. And I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was effective, but I thought it was hilarious at the same time. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm just, right. I just find it hilarious to have this thought that they like put all the actors into like a just pitch black room. And they're like, okay, this is what we're doing today, guys. <laughs> the, the set is literally this pitch black room. There's like no walls. There's like... No props. It's just this pitch black room. There's some rocks, I think, on the floor. I think. I I'm imagining think. Paul Darrow turning to like, uh, who wrote this again? What was his name? Uh, turning Fart. to like James Follett Fart. or Desmond McCarthy and being like, you guys serious right now? <laughs> anyway. anyway uh, Villa freezes in his tracks again and there's a nice moment where Callie comes and is like, hey, what are you doing, man? Come on, let's go. <laughs> hey, what are you doing, man? And then they escape. They don't really end on a silly line. They end on that somber note that, like, Thorne has escaped. Not that he's probably ever going to come back in the show again, but... <laughs> no, he's probably not. And we also end on the line of Tarrant going, I made a promise to What's-His-Face. Oh, we yeah. could go tell his family that he died. <laughs> we could tell his family that we could have gotten him out of there, but instead we let him die. <laughs> Thorne didn't even die, and this <laughs> guy died for nothing. Yeah, we also find out Callie didn't kill Thorne, supposedly. And I think there's more evidence that she didn't kill him, but I don't remember what it is. They like to see something leave the negative space, the black hole. That's how they know. Yeah. So Tharn's out there somewhere. I don't think Tharn's coming back. No. (laughs) But yeah, this is really weird. Last week we got the line that Tarrant doesn't Mm -hmm. trust anyone. Yeah. Here he, this doesn't contradict not trusting anyone, but it's also weird that he's like, I made this promise and I'm going to keep it. He's just trying to, he's trying to make himself out to be a trustworthy person, I think. Maybe. Uh, that was another thing that was that actually in Volcano, because uh, Villa, Callie says something like, oh, Tarrant went through the, I'm surprised, honestly, you didn't pick up on this, because this is everything you've been talking about, because uh-huh. v- Villa says Tarrant went through the space, well, actually, I think Callie says Tarrant went through the Space Academy, and Villa says, so he says, which is also yeah, like... Yeah, that's, that's in this episode too. Um, Tarrant is like, I, I trained, um, I forget, there's an acronym, SSR, space... I mean, even him saying he trained at the Space Academy is directly contradicting the story he gave exactly. Avon yep. in Power after, Play. Yeah, not Aftermath, Power Play. Because he said, oh, I was uh, just an independent captain yeah. and I stole this uniform. Oh, yeah. And what's weird to me about this whole thing is that Avon never calls Tarrant out on this. Yeah, he doesn't. That's also an interesting... Thing. There's this thing also earlier in the episode, and I was considering having this be my what would Blake do, is when they are getting sucked into the black hole and they don't know what it is at first, Avon's like, well, I suggest we do nothing. <laughs> or he doesn't actually say that. Someone's like, well, what do you, Villa says, what do you suggest we do, Avon? He's like, nothing. Yeah. Which was interesting. I don't know. Series C is really weird in my opinion. Uh, I, I really like, I Obviously didn't like Volcano very much, but I really like what this series is sort of doing. And I love Aftermath, favorite episode, and I love this one too. I thought this episode was good and entertaining, and I think it worked really well. Uh, definitely probably not in my top three, maybe top five or ten. Oh, but, wow, really? Uh, yeah. Huh. 
just because I feel like it had it, when it started off well, really similar to Shadow. It even can, I think even even the after the halfway mark, I think it was pretty similar to Shadow with Callie off doing her own thing. Yeah. She's contacted by like a psychic mm-hmm. force, and I do think Shadow is better than this one. Yeah, absolutely, in my opinion. I definitely really like Shadow, and that's why I think this episode doesn't can't really fall in my top three because it is Shadow's my favorite episode of the show so far. So to have this episode be so like... To have a lesser shadow? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of uh, in the shadow wow. <laughs> of shadow and all that bombshell. <laughs> Unless you have anything else you want to say. Nope. Okay, so we should, uh, before we go any further, <laughs> answer the questions <laughs> that we posed at the start of this episode. Definitely not splicing this in because we forgot. <laughs> We're professional podcast hosts. <laughs> So since I didn't ask the question first, I think you should give the answer first. <laughs> so the answer to my question, let's just actually reiterate the question in case you forgot. It. My question was, Callie compares the two. Callie compares Tharn to two mythological creatures from Earth. What were they? And the answer was B, unicorns and dragons. And my question, let me just remind you, was at the beginning of the episode when they're playing Space Monopoly, Villa is complaining about losing and Dana offers to give him rent in Space City. What is the rent that she charges? In Space City, and the answer was, I believe, C, 5,000 a night. So now you know, pat yourselves on the back once again if you got them right. If you got these obscure facts right. <laughs> if you got these rather obscure and meaningless facts right, <laughs> pat yourself on the back. Give yourself a gold star on your little, uh, I, I, hope, I hope you're keeping track of how many you get right, because once again, there's going to be a oh, test God. at the end of the podcast. So uh, make sure you put your gold star. <laughs> And we can go into our email responses for this week. And you might want to just sort of explain, because we've had this running discussion about science Mm -hmm. fiction and the nature of science fiction for a couple weeks. And we've been questioning, like, do we really want this to be on Mm -hmm. Zenith? Not because we don't value people's opinions, but because it's a long discussion that's not directly related to Blake 7. So I think what we're probably going to do is... Um, if you have stuff about that, definitely email us, but we're going to be putting, we're going to be picking those when we, when we cover emails, we're going to be taking that stuff out of the email and we're going to be putting it after our outro sequence. So mm-hmm. if people just want to focus on Blake seven, if they don't want to listen to any of that, they can just do that. They can just stop when we play the outro music and yeah. that's it. And if you want to continue listening, that'll, the rest of it will be after that. Yeah. Not that I think we have anything this week because Sergeant Trainer didn't talk about science fiction in his email this week. Okay, Dawn of the Gods. Subject line is Dawn of the Gods. Hey guys, so Dawn of the Gods, Orak is little Mr. Bossy Pants this episode. I like it. Good building suspense at the start with a ship behaving unusually for mysterious reasons. Did you dig Space Monopoly? I sure did. See attached, yeah. which is just a picture of Space Monopoly. We'll put it on the show notes. Kind of weird. Tarrant stopping Avon, putting on a suit, exclaiming we all go together. Villa goes outside, pops a suit, maybe gets killed. Did you guys think he might actually be dead? Nope. Nah. I could have totally seen them offering a character like this. Tarrant's getting kind of big for his britches, isn't he? He seems to think he's the leader now. What do you guys think? Amongst my friends, a Tarrant became a slang term used to describe a pale, weak, second-rate replacement for a much better character that got written out of the story, i.e. Blake in this case. Tarrant sure does feel like a bargain basement Blake, doesn't he? Can you guys think of any Tarrants from other shows or stories out there where better characters got replaced with weaker ones? Hey, cool, we finally get to see the Liberator's defense mechanism kill some borders. So the Thorn turned out to look pretty much how they described Orak, a bald midget, hmm... Villa, I'm in hell, and it's full of Avons. I forgot about that land. I thought yeah, it was, it was awesome. Pretty good this week, IMO, but certainly has some weak points, particularly towards the end. I'll give it 5.5 out of 7. Sergeant Drano, Station 7, the door. Uh, I was thinking of Terrence and other episodes. 
yeah, you know, if you want to go there, NCIS, when they killed off Caitlin Todd in season two and replaced her with Ziva David, Ziva David was just to discount Caitlin Todd. But then she eventually became her own character, so it was good, which I'm hoping is what they're going to do with Tarrant, the actual Tarrant. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm sure I could think of some probably, but put me on the spot like this. I can't, so. Yeah, that's the other thing in the future. We're going to be trying to keep our responses to these emails pretty short but concise, I think, because we're starting to get a lot more email responses to our episodes, which is good. And we yeah, really appreciate us. that. But we don't want our email responses to be the bulk of our episodes. So definitely email us. We're just going to try to be more a little, I guess, concise and precise in our responses to these emails so that it goes a little quicker. Right. And I think what we're going to do is something I did a couple of weeks ago, but not to that extent, because if, if you listen to, I forget what episode, but it was a few weeks ago. Um, I had this long, long typed Keeper. response. No, the, your response was an aftermath. Right, an aftermath. I had this very long typed response to an email. I think we are going to go down the route of typed responses so that mm-hmm. we focus on what we want to say and get it said in like one or two minutes each. Right. They won't be as long as the one that I had. And I think we're going to try to figure out some way to put them on the website. I haven't quite figured that out yet. I know I keep saying I'm going to, <laughs> but I haven't quite figured it out yet. And when I do, you all know because they'll be on the website. <laughs> so that's the only email we got this week. At least as of the recording of this episode, we may get more between now and when the episode goes out. But yeah, I'm hoping that Tarrant develops into his own character in some way. That's yeah, really you... my main response to this email. We get to see the yeah. Liberator's defense mechanism kill some borders. Maybe makes you wonder why they haven't used that before, i.e. in like <laughs> aftermath. But anyway... <laughs> That's yeah, kind of a I'll, retcon. I'll be looking forward to seeing like where Tarrant goes and where Dana goes too, but Dana so far is not promising the way they're actually achieving her character on the show. Right. But like and I said, in Volcano, I really don't think we gave her enough credit. After sure. rewatching it, I think she did a lot more, but I really do feel like in this episode, she was definitely a Gan. Yep. I guess that's just going to be our slang term for a character who doesn't no. do much in an episode. Yeah. <laughs> that's already That's already stuck. Uh, that stuck when Gan was still on the show. Yeah, which is really sad. You bring up something, one more interesting thing, well, one more really interesting thing that Tharn looks like how they describe Orac, which is actually really cool and not something that I thought about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's like trippy, man. Like, I don't really think that has anything particular to say about anything, though. I think that's just almost a coincidence. Well, who knows, man? I don't know. I mean, it's not something I really thought about. Yeah. That's interesting. He, he also reminds me of the guy in the vat in the web almost. Oh, yeah. That was another story. Dude. Yeah, that guy had a name, but I forgot what it was. That was another story that was almost doing the same thing. That's really interesting. Well, I don't have anything to say on that. No, nah, I don't either. I really don't <laughs> think it is saying anything. But anyway... If you would like to email us, you can reach us at the doctor.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on Dawn of the Gods. I believe next week. Let me double oh, check yeah, this. We have next something... week is Harvest of Kairos, which yep. we are planning to do with Making Blake 7, if you've forgotten. Which means we are going to be the world premiere of Making Blake 7's voice and Heck first yeah. name. I'm hyped. So. If he decides to go by his first name. If he decides to go by his first name and not by Making Blake 7. Right. We shall see. No, we I'm shall hyped. See. I'm excited hyped. for it's, it. It's going to be exciting, I think. And 
Otherwise, you can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Trust Your Doctor. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Check us on uh, Facebook, Trust Your Doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time, like we mentioned, we're doing Harvest of Kairos with Making Blake 7. But until then, the end.